love came down and rescued me. It was a great rescue. I don't know about you, but Jesus, when he saved me, he paid a great price for this mess. He rescued me from a life of misery and ruin, okay? And he rescues me every day in this process we call sanctification. Hey, I'm excited to be here this morning. Um, I'm, I think I know most of you, but um, contrary to what you hear, I have the best job in the world. Don't let anybody tell you different. I am so excited to be here um, at Great Hills Baptist Church and be your student pastor. I've been here 169 days. So yes, I am counting. And um, I want to tell you something this week. Um, I love our staff meetings. I, I, I do. I just love them. I look forward to it. It's refreshing. This week we walked in and the pastor said, well, guys, I have a treat for you. He says, we're going to a movie. And so it's the best staff meeting I've ever had. It was absolutely amazing. We went and watched When the Game Stands Tall. Amazing, amazing movie. I highly recommend it. But guys, let me tell you something. That was not what made that staff meeting the best staff meeting. What made that staff meeting the best staff meeting was after the movie when we came back and we got on our knees and we humbled ourselves before God. And I want to let you know that on Monday of this week and every day this week, you have been prayed over and our staff shed tears over this morning and we're asking God to move in this place this morning. Man, what a love, what a love. Pastor wrote something down in that, um, in that meeting and I, I looked over and cheated and saw what he wrote down. He wrote something down, he, said, he wrote down, come hungry, come hungry. And I was thinking about that word, come hungry, and I've been praying over that, come hungry. And I think a lot of times we come to the table and the reason we don't eat, the reason we're not satisfied is because something else has satisfied us. We had a little snack, we, we, we got our game on on Saturday, or we, we've got our fix, our team won, you know, and so we're good. But if we don't come hungry, if we don't expect something, Jesus spoke of it. It's horrifying to think Jesus said, how often would I have gathered your children as a hen gathers, her, as, as a hen gathers the chicks under her wings and you would not. You refused me, you held me back. Amos spoke of this in, in Amos 6. It says, woe to those who are at ease in Zion, who, who lay out on the beds of ivory, who are comfortable. They're full. They drink from the large bowls. They're satisfied. And this has nothing to do with the sermon this morning, but it has everything to do with preparing us. I want us to pray. I want us to pray this morning specifically. And last time I asked you to pray, I'm not, I'm not convinced that we prayed. I'm not. And so what I want to invite you to do, if you don't want to close your eyes, I want to invite you to bow your head just out of reverence of the person next to you. Heads bowed, eyes closed. And I want to lead you in a prayer. And I want to invite you right now to engage a holy God outside of the sound of my voice. I want to ask you to call on Him and, and to speak to your heart. Say, God, I want to be hungry for you. I want you to feed me today. Ask Him. He said, if we knock, if we seek him, we'll find him. If we diligently seek him, we will find him. Maybe there's something right now hindering you from hearing God this morning. Maybe it's forgiveness. Maybe you've drank a poison expecting someone else to die. 
And unforgiveness is going to hold you back from hearing a single thing that God has to say and to speak into your life this morning. Don't let it happen. Forgive. Forgive. If you have a problem forgiving, you look to the cross and look at the rescue. Look what he saved me from. Wow. Father, we give this time to you this morning. Thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for the great rescue that we sing about. We praise you this morning. We exalt you. Speak to our hearts. Lord, speak to me. Lord, I pray that I'm just but a mouthpiece. That your words would flow through and permeate our hearts this morning. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we're going to be in Mark chapter 2, but um, I want to encourage you just to flip your notes over because the introduction is going to be longer than the note sheet, okay? So the introduction is going to be, and so we're going to fly through that note sheet, but flip it over to the back because I want you to write some things down. We're going to be in Mark chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. I believe this to be one of the most fascinating stories in the gospel. It is not only a story of healing, it's a story of hope. It's a story of passion where Jesus sits down and introduces his deity to a people and he says I am I am the one who forgives and it's a beautiful story but before we jump into this text before we dive in I want to propose a question I want you to answer this question in your mind and just answer this to yourself the question is this it's quite obvious it's a simple answer but I think it will help us before we we dive into this passage what is the greatest here's the question what is the greatest benefit that Christianity has to offer the world today? What is the greatest benefit that Christianity has to offer the world today? Some say it's peace. Others would say love, or we hear morality, ethical standard preached. We hear that, that, that responsibility, this, this purpose in life, finding that is, is a great responsibility. Fulfillment. You, you, you will hear many, many sermons preached this morning that happiness is the greatest benefit that Christianity has to offer the world today. While all of those things are, are good, and I agree they are great benefits, but they are not the greatest benefit. None, they all tower in the face of the, of the greatest benefit that transcends all other benefits. And it's simply this, it's man's greatest need. Simply put, to escape, here's the benefit, to escape the wrath of God, write this down, to escape the wrath of God poured out on sinners in hell. That, my friend, is the greatest thing that Christianity has to offer. And this escape is only through Jesus. It's afforded through the gospel of Jesus Christ through forgiveness. And that's the story we're about to look at this morning. God alone can forgive sin. This message of the gospel is only through Jesus. A couple of verses that I'm going to read, and you can jot them down if you want. But John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Only God can forgive sin, and it's through Jesus. He, Ephesians 1, 7, He, God, is so rich in kindness and grace that He purchased our freedom with the blood of His Son and forgave our sin. Only God can forgive sin. Acts 13, 38, we are here to proclaim that through this man Jesus there is forgiveness of sin. Only God can forgive sin. 
Nehemiah 9.17, they refused to obey. And they did not remember the miracles that he had done for them. Instead, they became angry, stubborn, and appointed a leader to take them back into slavery in Egypt. But you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and merciful, slow to become angry, and rich in unfailing love. Only God can forgive sin. Psalm 103, I love this one, verse 12, Psalm 103, 12, he removed our sin, how far? As far as the east is from the west. East and west never intersect. You can go north and you hit this pole, right? And you start going south. But as far as you go east, west is going gonna, is gonna to follow you, never to be remembered again. That's what he did when he rescued me. He took my sin away as far as the east is from the west and that is a beautiful thing. That is something to celebrate. Only God can do that. Isaiah 38, 17, he says, Yes, the anguish was good for me, for you have rescued me from death and forgiven all my sin. Only God can forgive sin. Isaiah 43, 25, I, God, yes, I alone will blot out your sin for my own sake, and I will never think of your sin again. Exodus 34, 6 and 7, the Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, and I do not excuse the guilty. Only God can and will forgive sin. And this morning, we need to know that God desires to forgive our sin. He does. He desires that. And only God alone can do it. Romans 4 is another chapter. It tells us God, only God, God alone can forgive sin. So Mark chapter 2, 1 through 12, we're about to see Jesus demonstrate his authority uh, to forgive sin. And when he does this, he proclaims his deity to the, the church, the Pharisees, the, the scribes, and everyone in this place. He had already been demonstrating his authority to heal, his, his power over disease. Okay, So he's already done this, and now he, he, he is going to, he's going to represent and show them that he is God in the flesh and has the power. Um, this is what his ministry was all about. His ministry was about preaching the kingdom, access to the kingdom through Jesus, forgiveness of sin. Let's read Mark um, chapter 2, and we're going to read verse 1 through 12. You'll follow along with me. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. Excuse me. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head and they lowered the man on the mat right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith... Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your, sin, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of the law were sitting there and they thought to themselves, first thing they thought, number one, what is he saying? Secondly, this is blasphemy. Third, only God can forgive sin. And they were right. 
God can, only God can forgive sin. Verse 8, Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to a paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. So Jesus then turns to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We have never seen anything like this before. Capernaum was Jesus' resting place. All right, he um, had about a year and a half ministry in Galilee, and he would often go to this, this place, Capernaum, and rest, probably because he didn't receive the persecution that he received in other places. But this Capernaum was the largest town on the lake, a significant place, the town center. Uh, the tax office was there, the Roman garrison. But one thing we know is that Jesus did not have a house of his own. Matthew 8, verse 20, Jesus said the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. This, ha this house was probably uh, Peter or Andrew or maybe both of their homes. Uh, okay, so he, he, um, he's in this house. And, and before, well, I think it, we need to point this out. His last visit, chapter 1 and verse 33, his last visit, the whole town assembles at the door. So Jesus was drawing this loud, this, this large crowd. Okay, so an invitation wasn't needed. Hospitality was a big thing in that day. But Jesus had become quite the popular person. And he no longer, even chapter 1 verse 35 tells us, he no longer entered uh, the city um, openly. He sort of had to move around and, and escape the people because he was so famous. He'd be, his fame had, had just spread and they knew. He, they saw him as a healer. Um, chapter 1 uh, verse 45 tells us that. 135 tells us that Jesus would get up early, early in the morning. And I think he got out before daylight so he could step over the ones waiting at the door on him. They were desperate to be healed Jesus clearly made, it, made the point that he came to preach. He came to preach. Mark 1.38, Jesus rep replied to the disciples. He said, we must go on to other towns as well. I will preach to them too. That is why I came. Jesus came to preach. He had turned into this hero healer, popular figure. His fame spread. People were very attracted to Jesus, but they were often more attracted to his miracles versus his message. Jesus was about the message, primarily about the kingdom of heaven. That's what he was preaching. He was preaching the gospel. He was telling of repentance and what it means to turn from your sin and turn to a savior and to believe in him. Luke 4, 18, Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. I think he's quoting Isaiah uh, 61. For he has anointed me to preach the good news, the gospel, to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released and the blind see that the oppressed are set free. Jesus um, is, is in this open large room. Let's just imagine just for a second. This is, this is a cool story. Jesus is in this room. It's, it's, it's the center of a house. It was like probably a one-room house. 
And he is there, and <laughs> there's a noise. I mean, the house is packed. You've got to understand there's no room to get in the house. Um, people are, are, are just packed into this house. Perhaps the entire town is outside. The courtyard is full. He's in this room, and there's a noise. And there's a noise from above. Distraction sets in. What happens? He's speaking, he's preaching, and there's a noise. And, and everybody's looking up, and they're trying to figure out, I've just got to imagine this story taking place. But he, I think they probably looked up, at, and there, there's, there's this, this noise, and there's this breaking away of, of, of debris, and, and, and there's this hammering and this prying and cracking and snapping of boards. And then debris begins to fall in. Can you picture that? Imagine that, debris falling in, wood, pieces of wood and hay, mud, dust is everywhere. Somebody probably had some allergies in there and they were about to have a fit. That room, and I, here's, here's, my, here's what I was thinking. As a, as a homeowner, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm ready to dial 911. What, who is, what are you doing? You're tearing my house up. And then for the sci-fi um, people, he, he, this hand reaches through. How creepy is that? A hand's through. They're tearing planks apart. And a hole big enough, probably four by six feet, appears in this roof over the next few moments. The crowd is transfixed on what's going on. And some of them are probably agitated. Litter everywhere on pe in people's hair uh, all over the place. And then a man's lowered in. And he comes, he's lowering in, he, he's, he's just hanging there. Can you imagine? He, he, he lowers in and, and Luke tells us that precise, precisely, they dropped him right in front of Jesus. There was no dialogue or speech recorded. This man is right in front of Jesus. I can't imagine how excited he must have been to look and to realize his Savior. He could perhaps walk this day. He knew he had great faith. And I want you to see Jesus' response in verse 5. This is good. Jesus sees his faith. Is that what it says? No. Jesus sees their faith. Whose faith? The faith of the five. They had faith. They had the kind of faith you could see. They had the kind of faith that James talks about in James 2.17. You see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. Their faith was alive. It, it was evidenced and proven that Jesus was a miracle maker, and they believed. They had intellectual assent. Jesus could heal them. But only one man in this group, we read the story, only one man was, had his sins forgiven. Why? Weren't, weren't there five men? Weren't there five men with faith? Why was one man? They all had faith. But only one had the kind of faith that Jesus would respond to and say, son or child, or Luke says, he says, friends, there's an endearing term there. He says, your sin, your sins are forgiven. And the reason we know that Jesus forgave his sins is because he had a repentant heart. He had a repentant heart. He saw Jesus as more than a healer. He saw Jesus as a savior. He saw him as the promised Messiah. John MacArthur said this, the sinner who is paralyzed 
knows himself to be wretched both inside and out. Maybe it was a little easier for him is because he knew who he was. It was not in, a, in, a, in his own self to be able to do anything for himself. He was desperate. I think the question needs to be answered for some this morning. Do we know who we are? All of us need to answer that, actually. Is it Jesus that gives you the hope that you have, or is it in something else? It can't be Jesus plus or Jesus minus. It has to be all Jesus. So you have the scribes here on the scene in verse 6 and 7. These guys were thinking. Scribes were thinking. That's what they did. So they're thinking. What are they thinking? They're thinking they have a blasphemer. And they know the law, all right? And they know what Leviticus 24 says, a blasphemer is to be killed. They know the law, and they're thinking to themselves, only God can forgive sin. They were right. Only God can forgive sin. According to Jewish theology, even the Messiah could not forgive sin. That the Savior they were looking for couldn't forgive their sin. Only God can do this. But he reads their minds and proves again another proof that he is God. 1 Samuel 16, the Lord looks at the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance Lord, the Lord looks on the heart. Only God can read your mind. 1 Kings 8, 39, he says, You alone, the latter part of this verse, for you alone know each human heart. Only God can read our mind. Jeremiah 17, 10, but the Lord searches the hearts and he examines motives, secret motives, actually. Only God can read our mind. Ezekiel 11 latter part of verse 5 says, I know what you are saying, for I, the Lord, know every thought that comes into your mind. Wow. So the scribes are, are looking and they are convinced that they have a blasphemer. But a blasphemer cannot forgive sin. Only God can forgive sin. And we see that a blasphemer cannot, re- cannot read minds. Only God can read minds. A blasphemer cannot create but only God can create, and He does that, and He speaks life, and, 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 and He speaks life into these limbs of this man, this paraplegic or this whatever He was. He, does, he couldn't walk. Jesus forgives His sin, but He doesn't get up. He saw the greatest need. He forgave His sin. He doesn't get up. And He says, I'll prove for you, verse 10, I'll prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sin. Jesus called himself um, Son of Man about 80 times in the New Testament. This should have been proof to the scribes and Pharisees. They, they should have known that this is who, who he was. Um, Warren Wiersbe says this. I love this quote by Warren Wiersbe. Forgiveness is the greatest miracle that Jesus performs here. It meets the greatest need and costs the greatest price and brings the greatest blessing and the most lasting results. The paralyzed man got more than he came for. He came to be healed, but he was freed from the wrath of God. He escaped hell right there, eternity in hell. And so I want us to shift gears here and look at the four friends. These four friends were pretty awesome. So we've looked at Jesus in relation to the man who is healed. He was forgiven of his sin, all right? He's healed, all right? And, 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 and now these four friends, what would happen 
if, if these four friends did not take this paralyzed man to Jesus. How did he get to Jesus? They, they carried him to Jesus. And the first thing, and we're going to look at three essentials to bring your friend to Jesus, and these will be on the screen. We're going to move through them pretty fast. So I want to close um, today's uh, message this morning in a pretty cool way, and I, I want to get to that. I don't want to rush that. So you can write these notes in. Um, uh, three essentials to bring a friend to Jesus. First thing, number one, simply, you, you just must care. Um, these guys had to care. They walked by, and they were tired of, of, of seeing this man in this way. And they found out where Jesus was. So they, they, just, they, they wanted to see him helped. And so they put feet to their prayers. Um, there's a quote, I don't know who, whose it is, but people don't know how much you care. I'm sorry, people don't, know, don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. They had to first care. If these friends were not real and they did not love, this man may have never met the Savior of the world. So the first thing the four friends show us that if you care, you will locate Jesus. They had to know where Jesus was. Okay, so they're not going to set out on this journey to take him uh, somewhere where they don't know where Jesus is. So it, it, was, it was heard. They, they found out Jesus is in the house and there was no better place to be. And so we learned from these friends is that we need to first know Jesus. We need to know who he is and what he is and know about him before we can effectively care and reach our friends. The second thing the four friends show us is, is you have to know the condition of your friend. Know the condition is the blank there of your friend. This friend was helpless, is helpless. And so I have asked for Kyle Turner to help me out with this illustration. Kyle is one of our um, worship leaders. He, he works with Corey and the student ministry as a worship leader. And so Kyle is, um, is gonna play the part of the sick man. And so for you to do this, Kyle, you are now paralyzed. So I'm sorry to do that to you, but um, you have to be down to be able to work that out. So this is Kyle, and Kyle is the paralyzed man. Look at this guy. He's helpless. He cannot walk. I think we just need to see this just for a second before we move on. He's suffering. He's suffering here. Um, physical therapists know that he has to be turned from time to time because he'll develop sores, and that's infection is usually what would kill him. It's being a, he needs to be turned and he needs to be treated for this disease. When he is thirsty, he, someone has to bring him water. When he's hungry, someone has to feed him. And many other things that we won't talk about when that happens, he has to be taken care of, okay? And so that leads us to this. He was totally dependent on others. Without Jesus, most importantly, Jesus tells us in this passage, without Jesus, he's bound for hell. Look beyond the, the paralyzation and look in the spiritual. He is bound to a place of torment. And my friend, unless we see those that we pass... In the, with these lenses, and we see them in this condition, they will not be saved unless someone tells them about Jesus. And so our job as a church is to see our world as we pass Austin, as we go through Texas, as we're in the nation. If we did this, if we would all leave this place and we would seek out the lame, spiritually dead, in their trespasses and sin and tell them there's a savior 
and this Savior, his name's Jesus, and he saved me from the, the, the pit of hell, and he took on the wrath of God for me, separation from a holy God so that I could live. That story, the gospel changes lives. And so let's look at this little, this is cool. And so I've asked, I have four real friends and I see three, so I'm concerned right now. There's the fourth one. Come on, guys. These guys are going to attempt to, um, to show you sort of what it looks like to be a real friend. All right. So we're going to, I'm going to talk while they, while they put Kyle up and they're going to take him on a little journey um, while, while we, we finish up here. So first of all, they have to do is they have to get him on the, so guys, you're not taking him anywhere until you get him on the stretcher. So there you go. He's got to go on the stretcher. All right, so let me just go ahead and tell you right now. Uh, yeah. All right. All right, we, we want him to be able to get off when, he, when we're done. So, all right, so the first thing that we need to see is there's a lot of time involved in this. They could possibly drop him. All right, it could happen. Hope not. Time, sweat, and tears. And are you guys going to take him or are y'all just going to stand there? All right, very good. I don't know who's more nervous, the guys or Kyle. Um, so they're going to take him on a little journey. This is what real friends do right here. Real friends carry their friend. Now I want you to notice as they move around that I want you to notice this. They didn't, they didn't call Kyle down. They, they came and got him. They didn't say, hey, come to me. You know, they went and got him and they, 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 they put in a lot of cost and I think they've broken the stretcher here. So um, you guys can bring him back and put him back here. So there was this journey. I want you to notice one thing that sometimes we can overlook in this story is in there carrying him. That's the, the first point is they carried him. It's probably from another town because Jesus frequented Capernaum and Jesus had been healing a lot of people. And so it's probably a long distance to get their friend to Jesus, okay? And so it was physically taxing, okay? And, and, the, and one of the things that we need to note is, is you guys are all, according to the law, you are ceremonially unclean right now because you touched a paralyzed man, all right? So you would all have to go through a process of purification just, just for touching him. All right, so that, that was a law. Thank you, guys. Let's give them a hand. No one was hurt. It's a good day. You can leave it right there. It's fine. Or take it away. Either one. Thank you, guys. Y'all are awesome. So they had to carry him upstairs as well, and I thought about um, doing that. Uh, my first thought was to lower him out of the attic, but thank God we didn't do that if we're breaking things on the ground. Um, Kyle. So let's talk about this house real quick. I want you to see this. This house had a flat roof and it, had, it per perhaps had a staircase up the side of the house. This flat roof had beams and over those beams was a thatch system that was made up of branches and twigs and straw and mud. And it was compacted and rolled with a stone roller and then tiles were put over the roof. And so there was a great, great amount of effort put into taking this roof off. And that leads us to the second point. These guys were equipped with the right tools. They had, to bring, they had to have some rope to lower him down. They had to have a spade or a shovel, perhaps a saw. They were prepared to do and to spend all and to pay the cost to get their friend to Jesus. So they ripped the roof off, removed the roof. You know, I think... Um, some of us, and I think I might have been thinking if I was one of those friends, why don't, why don't we just come back tomorrow? You know, Jesus could be here tomorrow. You know, no. 
No, all we have is today. All, all we have is this moment. And so they, they took him, they, they ripped the roof off. The last thing I think is a big one is they, they faced the potential rejection. What if Jesus had, had said no? What if Jesus had said go away? But he didn't, thank you Lord. Third and, and the last thing, they had to ignore the crowd. I believe this is the greatest opposition here. Jesus saw the crowds as they were. To him, they were no measure of success. They were spiritually passive, uncommitted. They wanted healing and food versus a relationship or even to seek the things of God. The crowd brought persecution. And so I think as these guys carry their friend to Jesus, they face persecution. I can hear the crowd now. Go away. Get away from us. Don't, don't bump into us. We don't want this guy touching us. The common belief was that sickness was due to someone's sin or their parents' sin. And Jesus said this was not true in John chapter 9, verse 1 through 3. Secondly, they faced ridicule from the religious. Luke adds that the Pharisees were mingled into the mix, the separated ones. These legalists were preaching a message of salvation by works. They dominated people in their beliefs, and they believed the Old Testament. They had a lot, lots of beliefs, messianic coming and written law, oral law, response, predestination, responsibility of human demons and angels, all this stuff. But their system was condemning. And according to history, there was about 6,000 or so in the region at that time. But no one could be saved by this, this Phariseeism. The scribes were there. These were theologians. They were called rabbis, and they loved to hear that. They loved to hear it because rabbi meant great one. Jesus, um, in his forgiveness, claims his deity, which his detractors consider blasphemy. Notice that the crowd is curious versus concerned. They are curious. They're fans on the, side, on the sideline versus players on the field. If they were concerned, they would have let the man through to be healed by Jesus. The last point. Um, I'll tell you what we're going to do at this time is I want to ask, before I go into this last point, I want to ask our ushers, if you would, you guys have been cued to hand out something. We have just a little something that we want to put in everyone's hand here. And so, guys, um, it, it should be where your offering plate was. If you would get those and go ahead and pass this out. And I need one as well. Um, so before you... Um, before we sit down, we want to make sure that everybody has one of these. And as soon as you get this little guy, they're going to hand you. Just, just clench him in your fist and hold him there, and I'll tell you what to do. Jesus um, looked at the crowd as a barrier, often more than a blessing. Fans on the sideline. You know, and here's what's heartbreaking if I can still have your attention, Matthew chapter 9 and verse 8. Thank you. Matthew 9 and verse 8 tells us, Matthew's account of this story, that when, when the man gets up and leaves, he's healed and he leaves, that even the crowd, the crowd said this, they were in awe that God had given authority to men. The crowd missed it, guys. They thought they were standing there looking at a man, and they were not looking at a man. They were looking at God in the flesh. They were looking at the Savior of the world. 
They were looking at the one to which forgiveness comes, through which forgiveness comes. It was Jesus standing in front of him. So they, the last point, if you're a note taker, they risk being charged with a crime. I mean, they tore somebody's roof off. This is not cool. You don't tear somebody's roof off. If you go to your neighbor's house and rip their roof off, somebody's going to pay. These guys were willing to pay. It cost them monetarily. They had to pay to pay for this roof. And so as you get your guy, just hold on to him. Um, and we'll close with this thought. If somehow um, we could imagine what it was like for this paralyzed man to see Jesus for the first time. Guys, I hear it. I hear it. I, I see people come to Christ. Um, I, I see it. I, I saw LK come to Christ on, on Monday night. I witnessed it. And, and I saw her this morning out of the waters, and as she's walking away, she's like, wow, this is the best week of my life. All things have changed. She is a new creature. It's a beautiful thing. And I just wonder, as he's lowered in there, what he was thinking when he saw Jesus. Hey, if you, do, if you don't have one of these little guys, would you raise your hand? If you don't have one, just hold it up until someone brings one to you. We're going to close with something. There's hands over here, and then some in the back. I just want to make sure everybody gets one of these. I believe God is going to use this today just to sort of remind us of our job, remind us of what He requires of us. This dream of walking as He's lowered in front of Jesus becomes a reality. I've just got to believe that as He's being lowered down, He's thinking, maybe today... I won't have to lay down. I will not have to be dependent on everybody else. Maybe today I will be healed. But he got more than he bargained for. He got more than he probably went for. But when he saw Jesus, I believe he realized in that moment, this is the Son of God. This, he's the man. And God saw that, and Jesus saw that in him, and he forgave him. And this morning, I want to close with this thought. There are two different types of people in here. You have either been lowered to Jesus and you have given your life to Him, or you haven't. There's still a hand back here, gentlemen. Back here, I see one. You, you, you've, either, you've either been lowered to Jesus and you've received forgiveness of sin and you've become His, or, or you're not. I want to speak to the ones that haven't this morning, just real quick. And I want to lower you right now, spiritually, I want to lower you in front of Jesus. Jesus is here. He, he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. The Spirit of God is here. And so right in front of you right now is a Savior. And I want to offer to you a chance to claim Him as your Lord and to receive forgiveness of sin. I don't have to convince anyone here today that sin is an ugly thing and that we're all sinners. But there's a Savior, and He is mighty to save. And oh, the rescue. Oh, the beauty. Oh, the life ahead of you. If you'll just reach out and you say yes to Him, you say, Daniel, how do I do this? I'm speaking to the ones that have never been lowered to Jesus right now. You're in this room. You know who you are. I don't. You don't have to know me. You've got to know Jesus. 
And so I believe he's offering to you, and if he's knocking on your heart's door, the way you open your heart to him and receive forgiveness of sin and receive eternal life with him, and the way you are set free from the clutches of hell and his wrath is to say yes to him. And that may look something like when I was 24 years old, I said yes to Jesus. I put my Z71 in reverse back halfway out of my garage, and I couldn't go anymore. Everything was failing. Life was fleeting. I put it in park and I stopped. In my prayer, my deliverance, my lowering to Jesus was me and Jesus right there in my truck. And I said, I quit. I give up. I give my life to you. Rescue me, God. Forgive me of my sin. Set me free. I want you to be my Lord and my life changed. Everything was behind me at that point. And I was free to live for him. And he freed me from some great things. Oh, they were, they were ugly. They were ugly. Addiction. Free. Thank you, Jesus. And this morning, he wants to do the same for you. I just hear him saying, it's not his will that any should perish, but all come to repentance. And so I want to I call you to repentance. And so everybody just bow your heads and close your eyes. This isn't our formal altar call. I, I want to talk to the ones real quick that I've, I've just lowered to Jesus. Your yes to Jesus needs to be something like, I give my life to you. Forgive me of my sin. Ask him to forgive you of your sin. I give my life to you, Jesus. I'm yours. You're mine. Rescue me. Save me. And whatever else he's leading you to pray, you just respond to him. I know in a group this size, there are many. You heard last week that the majority is what I heard last week. Jesus said that too. He said there are a few that find him. But this morning, if he is right there and you sense him and he's knocking on your heart's door and he's saying, I want to rescue you, you be saved this morning and you be redeemed. And at the end of the service in just a moment... We're going to invite you to come forward and to take a pastor by the hand or come tell me. I want to know. We want to know. We want to celebrate that with you. Father, thank you for forgiveness. And thank you for some that have responded to you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Jesus saw their faith. All right. And so hear me on this. Hear me on this. Y'all, let's hang on just one second. Just one second before we, um, before our invitation. I'm sorry. One second. Jesus sees their faith. And I wonder this morning, as you hold this guy out, I want you to put him in your hand. Put him in your hand. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about someone. There's nothing super spiritual about this little guy. He was just really cheap. All right? (laughs) But I want you to hold this guy in your hand. And I want you to think about someone that, that needs to be lowered to Jesus. A name. A name in your head. As soon as you have a name and you have a name, I want you to say that name in your head to yourself. Who is that name? So we're all doing this right now. Who is that name? That person, they need Jesus. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's someone um, that, that you pass in the hallway at school. Maybe it's a homeroom teacher. I don't know. But as soon as you have that name, I want you to say who it is and then close your hand. And hold your fist up where I can see it. When I see everybody's got this done, We'll move on. You have a name, someone that you're, you're, you're saying, I know who they are. Somebody that needs to be taken to Jesus. All right? A, a few that still aren't up yet. We're going to wait. I, I, want you, I want you to have time. If you, if, if you think that name through, say it to your head. Now do this. Turn to the person to your right 
and tell them the first name of that person. Just the first name. Just whisper it to them. What's the first name of that person? Who is it? Turn the, you might have to step across an aisle. Who is it? It's a, it's a person. This is somebody that's sick. They're spiritually paralyzed. Who is it? First name to the person to your right. Now turn to the person to your left. To your left. That would be this away. And tell that person, who is it? What's their name? What is their name? All right. There's a commitment that'll be on the screen. I want to, I'm going to read through this commitment, and then I'm going to ask you to respond and take a commitment. And whatever that name is, let's put that commitment up, guys. It says, I will diligently pray for my friend. I will care and spare no cost to carry him or her to Jesus. I promise to fulfill this oath. Did you hear that? Now I want you to pray that. I want you to pray that. We need to get serious. There's power in prayer. We need to get serious about taking our friend to Jesus. Who is it? In your hand, that name. And when we get to this part, we're going to read this out loud. It's on the screen. I will diligently pray for, and you're going to call out the first name. And I want you to take this and put this little guy somewhere where you'll see him on a keychain, on your desk, or on a mirror, taping to your dash. All right, you can cut the gun off if you want to. It's fine if it scares you. Got him? Got him? He's closed in your hand. Let's read this commitment. Everybody together. Ready? I will diligently pray for, I will care and spare no cost to carry him or her to Jesus. I promise to fulfill this oath. Father, God, we, um, we come to a time in our service where we want to we wanna commit further. God, I just pray as, as counselors get in place and as our pastors come forward that we would be serious about lowering our friend to Jesus. Lord, that we would take every opportunity to care. Lord, that you would see us faithful that you would see us as a people that, that care and see the condition of our friend, that we would pay the cost, that we would carry them in prayer. Lord, that we would tear the roof off and do what it takes, facing rejection, because we know they don't reject us. They reject you, God. And so, Lord, I pray for vigilance. I pray as we face persecution and ridicule that nothing would stop us from lifting this friend to you. Lord, I ask that when you look at our faith, that when you look and you see our faith, that you would, it would stir and move your heart to call someone to forgiveness. Lord, that you would knock on heart's doors because we are desperate to see this community saved. We're desperate to see you free our friends. We love you, God, and we thank you for what you're doing in this place and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you to stand to your feet. The altar is open. Um, th these guys are going to lead us in a song. 
But I wanna, I wanna ask you that if you have made a decision, maybe you wanna turn and, and make your seat an altar there, or maybe you wanna bring your friend and, and take them to the altar. And your first step of faith and obedience this morning is to step out and to bring this guy to the offer. I, altar. I'd love to see this altar filled up this morning with, with, with Christians that are serious about taking their friend to Jesus. And then others, if you prayed a while ago and you surrendered your life to Jesus, I'm gonna be standing down here and I would love to hear about that. Come and tell me, take me by the hand. I'd love to hear of your, of your life being, being forgiven of sin today and transformed. So the altar is open, you move, obey God.